Okay, let me tell you something radical and see what you think. This is fun. This is like ping pong radical. <laughs> I'm good with that. Okay. Um, thinking out of the box. If we're really out of the box, then everything is possible, right? If we're just, you know, one foot out of the box, then only certain things are possible. But if we're truly out of the box, sky is the limit. So here's, here's a radical out of the box thought. The different schools in psychology all try to locate the ultimate need in the human being. What do we need the most? Freud has his opinion. Maslow had many opinions. <laughs> so we're all trying to locate what do you really, really need? And it was very helpful for many people. But now let's think out of the box. Human beings shouldn't need anything at all. We should stop looking for the deepest, strongest, uh, most demanding need and get beyond need. We don't need anything. Maybe that's the answer. Maybe the truth is, I didn't ask to be born. I didn't need to be born. If I was never born, I wouldn't complain. <laughs> I, wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't knock on heaven's door and say, hey, hey, what about me? I don't need anything. Because ultimately, all need comes down to survival. I must remain alive. Now, what will it take for me to remain alive? I have to have control. I have to have my, my desires fulfilled. I have a hierarchy of needs. Needs to stay alive. Well, maybe I don't need to stay alive. Maybe that doesn't threaten me anymore. Because I now think, what do I need it for? What do I need it for? So I rethink it all and I come to the conclusion, life is not about me. I didn't ask for it. I don't care for it. I don't need it. It's not. So I don't need anything, thank you very much. So when a kid comes home in a bad mood and says to his mother, I didn't ask to be born, <laughs> the mother should say, neither did I. Because <laughs> none of us ask to be born. And it's not depressing, it's liberating. I didn't need to be born, so I have no problems. And stop threatening me, it's not working anymore. Don't tell me I'm gonna die. <laughs> it worked for 5,000 years. <laughs> for 5,000 years, people did what they had to do because they had, they had to survive and they wouldn't give in to death. That's what motivated everything. Now, a couple of years ago, most people all over the world woke up their teenage son and said, come, we have to go to work. 
We got to milk the cow and we got to plow the fields because the season is passing. And if we don't get it in, if we don't get the harvest, if we don't get that, we will starve and we will be dead. So the kid jumped out of bed and went to work with his father. Can you say that to a child today? <laughs> Wake up, gotta go to school, otherwise you'll die. <laughs> no, not likely, I'll just go on welfare. <laughs> but it's so far, it's such a distance. If I don't go to school and I don't graduate and I don't go to college and I don't get a job and I don't make money and I don't have a house, Maybe I'll be sleeping on a bench and I'll catch pneumonia and die. Okay, come on, that's so far-fetched. Well, maybe the point that you're saying is that it's not so much that I don't need to be here, but given that I am here, what am I going to choose to do with being here? Ah. Which would be sort of where, where, where I would come from in terms of looking at this. I had a patient once that actually said to me, um, uh, what is she, she said, um, she said, I want to die. And I, I said to her, we were sitting together and I said to her, is it that you want to die? And let's talk about that. Let's like break that down. Do you want to die or do you not know how to live? Do you not know what to do with your life that you were given? Just kind of different. And she sort of stopped and it's like, and it's, it's, it's complicated, right? Because you're saying, you know, you didn't ask for this, you know, the, you didn't ask for this. It's quite profound when you think about that. So what are you going to do with it? And, it, but it's a very tenuous line because, you know, they're really, I get a little nervous as a psychologist, right? When you're saying this to me, because I'm, I'm hearing, you know, people who are, are listening perhaps and watching us and thinking, well, you know, I, I get concerned for that person who may be thinking, well, I don't, as you said, Rabbi, you said, I don't need to live. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, you know, I, there's, you know, I, I listen with a lot of different ears when we're speaking and, and knowing, knowing who, who I, I take, I take a great responsibility and wanting to make sure that, you know, in this community, people that really are hurting have the resources, have the place to turn, have the person with whom to sit, to challenge them on that feeling. I don't want somebody, you know, I, I, I to my due diligence, because I stay in this community at the end of our phone call, right? So at the end of our phone call, <laughs> I can say whatever I want, because I can say whatever you want. But at the end of the day, um, <laughs> at the end of the day, I'm staying, you're going, uh, although I, we're still sitting in our respective spaces. Yeah. And, uh, and I want to say that I don't want one person who's listening to us to be taking that and say, you know, I don't need to live without picking up the phone and giving me a call tomorrow morning, you know, and, uh, and, and I, I'm serious about that piece of it, you know. So let, let's finish the thought. Please. This new realization uh, should really make everybody more relaxed and more accepting it's not that there are some individuals who have such bad lives that they don't need to live. Nobody needs to live. And therefore, the follow-up question is, if I'm not here out of my need, then whose need brought me into existence? 
So most people say, yeah, your father's. <laughs> no, my father didn't ask to be born either. So what are we gonna do, go back to Adam and Eve? Yes. See, the whole story of Adam and Eve is there to tell us they didn't need to be born. So what was their reaction and their response? Whose need created me? Because it wasn't mine. Which means, instead of feeling needy, I realized that I am needed. Somebody needs me here, and that's why I'm here. But I don't need it. That is a double blessing. If I have no needs, I got nothing to worry about. Free as a bird. But I am needed. Whoa, that is a reason to live. Yes. I am necessary. Not to myself, that's, that's depressing. I have my needs, so I need to fulfill my needs and I'm running around in circles and it doesn't make any sense because I didn't ask for those needs. So it's like you invite me to a very expensive restaurant and not tell me to pay. <laughs> What's the deal here? But you see, for religious perspective, the farmer told his son, get up, let's go to work or we'll die, right? The religious grandfather said, get up and go to shul or you'll go to hell and suffer. The response to that is, why do I have to go to shul? What do you mean I have to? I didn't ask to be born. I don't have to anything. So, well, then you'll stop existing. Don't threaten me. <laughs> That's not a threat anymore. I have to keep Shabbos. I, I don't have to. I didn't create the world in six days and rest on the seventh. Why, why do I have to? So that entire language, that whole, you must, you have to, you should. No, 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 no. And here's the most beautiful example that I think can save us all. A young boy goes off to yeshiva in France from America. He arrives at the yeshiva, goes into the office, and very intelligently, responsibly, and rationally says to the dean, I need to call my mother. Which phone can I use? This was in the olden days. The dean said to him, you need to call your mother. <laughs> yes, I need to call my mother. Oh, you need to call your mother. The boy got the message. He thought about it for a minute and he said, my mother needs me to call her. Which phone can I use? And the dean said, now you're talking like a mensch. Is it true that I need to daven or I need to go to shul? I need to keep Shabbos? No, you don't. It's not your Torah, they're not your mitzvahs. It's not your need. That's what you're needed for. So don't plagiarize. 
So let's talk. So, so that's an interesting point. So did you, but let's talk about how that translates to parents raising young kids today. Kids who, you know, have everything, need nothing, uh, <laughs> have, uh, you know, are waiting for a uh, hundred dollars from the tooth fairy, you know, it's, uh, you know, how does what you're saying translate into advice to give our parents today in talking to kids? Yeah, that's, that's getting practical. So the first thing is children today have everything they need and they're miserable. How come? How come? They have everything they need. In fact, they're trying to think of something they need and they can't think of it. That's frustrating. <laughs> well, there's money. I don't know what to spend it on. I've bought everything there is. So obviously, we have to come to the conclusion that our real and only need is to know who needs us. Mm. To be needed, not to be satisfied. Don't satisfy me. Challenge me. Tell me what I'm needed for. Don't buy me another gift. In other words, I'd rather be needed than loved. Love turns out not to be the solution. Because if, if imagine a parent saying to their kid, you know, we don't need you. But when you're cute, we love you. The kid will hate you. I'm your entertainment. I'm your pet. A pet you don't need, but they're so cute and cuddly. No, I, I'm not your puppy. A human being needs to be needed not needy. You know, Rabbi, it's interesting. I, I think that's so wise what you're saying. And I also think, I'm curious about how that now take it on the other end of the life spectrum, right? We've got couples, you know, years ago, you, you, you died by the time you were 65. So, you know, you didn't have to worry about being married for like another, you know, 30 years. Now in Florida, you figure like you're 70, you're like still middle-aged. So we're seeing a lot of these, couples who are falling out of love, right? Who have been married now 40 years and they're gonna trade in for a new model to upgrade or whatever is happening because they're not in love anymore and they can't face now the next 20, they may still have another 20 or 30 years past you know 65 so now they get to do a whole new life and it is quite interesting to see those sort of late late life later in marriage divorces happening remind me of this comedian who said her marriage was terrible she was not happy in her marriage and she said you know i did take the vow until death do us part i didn't think it would take this long <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's a serious problem and a big part of it is because we were brainwashed to think that marriage is all about love but it's not it's something much greater so an elderly couple 
who are thinking, oh, I'm not in love anymore. Well, you graduated. You're in a much better place. In simple, simplistic terms, you are the love of each other's life up to a certain age. Then you become the pleasure of each other's lives. Pleasure is not a pursuit. Love is a pursuit. As you grow together, go through experiences together, you pursue more closeness. That's love. I want more of you. Pleasure means I am so pleasured by your presence. I'm not pursuing pleasure. That, that's Pursuing pleasure is a, is a narcissistic activity. You don't pursue pleasure. Pleasure is experienced when the pursuit is over. <laughs> it's like, I don't have any pleasure running after chocolate. <laughs> I get pleasure only when I have the chocolate. <laughs> and you want more of it, right? Well, absence makes the heart grow fonder. That's the nature of love. But absence doesn't give me more pleasure. It gives me, it gives me pain. So pleasure is when I have the object of my pleasure. Love is most intense when I don't have what I love. And I got to run after it. You know, play hard to get. <laughs> you know, it's interesting what you're talking about because there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of language around trauma. And there's a lot of language around, you know, how much trauma people have experienced. Um, how much trauma kids experience and a lot of focus on uh, PTSD and how that's become like, you know, the jargon of the last, the, the label, the label of the last, not jargon, the label of the last however many years now. And it's interesting to listen to what you're saying because there's a lot of emphasis now, which it kind of gets back in some ways to the traumatization of this pandemic, if you will is instead of thinking about PTSD, post-traumatic post stress disorder, people are talking about post-traumatic growth. And it, it's just kind of that, that like out of, you know, darkness to light, sort of out of our negative experiences, you know, what are we gonna do with them? Sort of comes full circle to where we started in some ways. Thinking about the idea of what we get to choose in terms of some of our reactions not being victim to something. So it ties, into, it ties into what we're talking about. If I am in the needy mode, if I'm focused on my needs, if I'm intimidated by my needs, I become very sensitive, fragile. Every trauma is too much because it sets me back in my pursuit of my needs. But if I am free of need, very little will traumatize me. It's, it's such a it's much safer place to be. I am not needy. Nothing threatens me except a meaningless life. That's the only thing that scares me is that I'm not needed. 
But you see, Rabbi, the challenge right there is that 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 distance between fear of a meaningless life and taking the necessary steps, being an actor in one's own life to, and, and, and I have for decades, because <laughs> I'm old now, been intrigued by that gap. If I, I can't quantify it for people, but I can viscerally feel it. And, and I'm certain that most people know what I'm talking about. It's that gap between that, that it's the least helpful expression that I think Nike ever gave us was just do it. Because if it were that simple, we wouldn't be struggling with that distance between what we all know and that, that why don't we? That gap. Well, you, you get right to the heart of the issue. Can't help it. <laughs> wow. wow. But here, here, this is fascinating. The person who says, I need to find meaning in my life. You're headed for a depression. Yeah. Not your need. When, when we come to the realization that we are needed, it's not the same as saying, I need meaning in my life. Not you need, you are needed and that's meaningful, but you don't need. If I don't need to be born, why does my life have to be meaningful? It's God needs. See that? We have it backwards. Religion has messed us up. God is perfect, needs nothing. You're in trouble, he'll help you if you're nice. So fall on your knees and beg him. Maybe he'll be nice to you. That is so depressing right there. <laughs> right. And it's depressing because it's not true. Truth is not depressing. Could be heavy, but it's not depressing. The reason it's depressing and toxic is because it's not true. I am not the needy one. And God needs nothing? What kind of God is that? If he needs nothing, he's meaningless. And besides, who creates an entire universe and needs nothing? It makes no sense. It's so backwards, upside down. In fact, the person who claims to need is playing God. Only God can need. Only the creator has an agenda. The creation has no agenda. You're the creation, not the creator. So as soon as I say, but, but I need, no, wait, wait a minute, you're not God. Mm -hmm. You try to be God, you're going to get depressed. It's not going to work. Well, then do you take what you're saying, imagine and sit with people then and help them figure out how to make that parallel and if people understand that this is God who needs, right? Because God is, it is God who creates and God who created, then are there times in our own life where we need to focus on what is it that we do create? What is it that we do have control over? 
The only thing we have control over is to um, is to play our part in God's need to serve him or to refuse him. To refuse him is ridiculous. It's suicidal. Because if, if you're not concerned with what he needs, you're, you're left, in, in, you're in outer space. You're nowhere. Because you don't need. So God needing you is the, is the best news in the world. Now, here's an interesting thing. I've talked to people who have come to the conclusion, God created me for his purpose. I don't have any needs, but I don't know what his purpose is. Mm. What does he need from me? I have no idea, but I'm already feeling better. And then the challenge, and, and you can help us with this, which is the people, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. I, I truly get the benefit of somebody kind of understanding that there is a creator and the creator is the one that has the needs because they had the need to create. And so it can help somebody and free them up of trying to do more than perhaps what they can even do. But if somebody doesn't have that paradigm, and that's you know not the people perhaps who are listening to us tonight who are part of this dialogue, but if somebody doesn't come with a God paradigm, how do you move them toward that, toward taking this perspective, if you will? So here's another interesting phenomenon. I talk to people who insist that they don't believe in God and no argument and no proof and no, nothing works. They don't believe in God and they don't want to. But then I say to them, but God needs you to do something. They say, whoa, 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 whoa. He needs that God I can believe in. It's amazing. You make it relevant all of a sudden, all the arguments are gone. This abstract belief in somebody sitting in heaven judging you, laughing at your frailty. <laughs> no, I don't want to believe in that. And nothing you say is going to convince me to believe in that. But a God who needs me, something in the brain says that must be true. Because it is true. <laughs> but then again, there are, there are substitutes. People who don't really believe in God, and it's not God who needs them, well, my children need me. I join the army, my country needs me. I join a team, I'm on the baseball team, I'm the catcher. You have to have a catcher. I'm needed. We find ways to be needed by joining something bigger than ourselves by becoming indispensable for something to someone somewhere, but we must be indispensable. I think that is, is really a very wise place to be in terms of helping people and helping people who, you know, we talk a lot in mental health about protective factors, you know, for somebody who, uh, somebody who's maybe thinking about choosing, wanting to end their life and, you know, uh, mental health professionals say, well, what kind of protective factors 
does that person have? And, and they usually mean, you know, he's got three kids, he's got, you know, pets, he's whatever. But I think framing it in terms of, you know, to whom is he needed? I mean, it's, it's who needs this? By whom is he needed, I should say. You know, that's, that's kind of, um, it's kind of nice even in thinking about, you know, you know, at Jewish Family Service, you know, we do as a faith-based agency, it's a nice thing when in training our, our therapists also to sort of add that to sort of the, as part of a suicide assessment, if you will, as part of, you know, what are somebody's protective factors and are they, to whom are they, you know, needed? I mean, it's, uh, it's a nice, nice piece to add, I think. So to some degree, this pandemic and the lockdowns they sent that message. You thought you need to go shopping. You thought you need a job and go to work. Right. You thought you need to travel and see the exotic places. No, you don't. Right. No. And you know, you know, Rabbi, it's, I, I had probably my most profound moment. <laughs> I don't usually share this, but you know, you've made me really want to like uh, give you this, but my pro perhaps most profound moment during this pandemic was, um, and it's to, to your point, I think, is that, uh, and comes full circle with uh, at the beginning when I was saying to you that I hope we don't rush away from it too quickly without kind of using our 2020, if you will, <laughs> vision. Um, and uh, I, I, my daughter who doesn't live in town uh, after many months of pandemic, and at the time she was like living alone out of state, and she, she managed to come home and she figured it out and didn't fly and took transportation car and this and everything. And she came into the house and there was this, she's like 28 and she said, she said, wait, I just want to hug you. I need to feel that, you know? And it was interesting, she used the word need. And, and we hugged without any words, without, and it was, it was so profound. And I, I, I thought to myself, we best not lose that, you know, when not just me and, and, you know, but we collectively. And that should not be interpreted as love. Love would cheapen it. Actually, it's interesting. It didn't feel like love. Love is a, felt like a throwaway word at the time. Yes. Yes. We have a Sunday night program for VIPs that you might be interested in. It's informal. It's questions and answers. It's conversation. It's really relaxed. It's really pleasant, enjoyable, informative, and uh, kind of community-like. It's a Sunday night program. There's a um, Wednesday morning program for the VIPs. And there's a Wednesday night program. All of it, just conversation, casual, laid back, unscripted. So join us. Take a look. Click uh, the link below and see which, which of the three suits you best. And join us for some enjoyable conversation.